I'm Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 21. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm still a little... Just a tiny bit. Or croggy. I don't even think that's the word. <laughs> Croaky is what I meant, but still getting over everything. How are you? How I'm was good. your week? I'm good. It was kind of long. Yes. It was one of those weeks where about Tuesday, I thought it was Wednesday, <laughs> and then halfway through, you discover it's not. Yep. Yep. I feel so, you on that one. It was a long yeah. week. So. But otherwise, it was a pretty good week. How yeah. about you? Long week. Just a, <laughs> just a long week. That's all I'm going to say. Exactly. I'm glad it's over, honestly. Yes. I'm glad yes. I'm right. I need the weekend. Yes. So, so, anyway. Other than that, there's been a lot of true crime in the news yes, in Oklahoma. There there's been and a lot. I know that this will come out a week after when most of it went down. And mm-hmm. so, just 2023 is... Not starting off on a no, good... No, not a good... On a good note. No, and I don't like it. Thoughts and prayers for our state. And yes. Our, Victims, families, and yes. law enforcement trying to figure this all out. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully some answers will come about. Yeah. And we can have a better February. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and on another note, Tiff and I have had some uh, family news, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, our aunt, Brenda, yes. uh, found out she had stage one breast cancer. Yes. So we would all appreciate your thoughts, your prayers, your good vibes, Send them her way. Yeah, This will come out a week later, but she is having surgery on Monday. So mm-hmm. we would, our family would greatly appreciate yes, we prayers would. and thoughts and all that good stuff. Yeah. So we love you, Aunt Brenda. Yeah, we love you. And on another note, I'm just going to throw this out here since it's like bad news Friday. <laughs> um, everyone who knows me knows how much I love and adore and am obsessed with Elvis Presley. Yes. And their family just had a really heartbreaking time with Lisa Marie Presley passing away. So shocking. Thoughts and prayers for them as well. Not that we know them personally, but, you know, that's always rough and it's never easy, so... Well, and you know, Elvis has such a giant fan base. Yeah. It just spans generations because we were talking about it today at work. Mm -hmm. Even teachers 10 years younger than me were like, oh my gosh, my grandma was obsessed. Mm -hmm. So when I was younger, we traveled to Graceland Mm -hmm. and I became obsessed at a really young age. Mm -hmm. And so it's really amazing how... Elvis, granted, you know, he's been gone for close to 50 years almost, and he still is touching the lives of people and generations, Mm -hmm. even future generations, he'll continue to. So, and a lot of that has to do with Lisa Marie and her mother really, you know, pushing him or pushing his legacy. Well, and their family has taken such a hit because I don't know if you all remember, but back in July of 2020, her son committed. That's right. That's right. And and that wasn't that long Mm -hmm. ago. Now she's passed away and she's left, you know, her mom and her three girls. So it's just, it's heartbreaking, honestly. I can't imagine poor Priscilla's had to bury a husband Mm -hmm. and now a child and a grandchild. And so 
just hopefully she'll be able to make it Mm -hmm. through this and live for the three remaining grandchildren that she does have. So So, anyway, we just wanted to um, give our thoughts and prayers, condolences. Condolences. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. And just kind of address everything else going on. So So. anyway, hopefully we'll have a (laughs) happier note. I think you guys will enjoy this episode instead of doing some real dark history or ugliness right from our state we decided to kind of do something different we did with this and i'm episode. actually really excited i about am too it. i'm super thrilled about it we i had recently purchased a book called it's from the abandoned atlas foundation mm-hmm. called abandoned oklahoma right and there's actually a website called abandoned okay check bo- it out oh for sure it's by the same people And it's fascinating, the history behind abandoned buildings in our state. And so we both chose sites to do and to cover, to just kind of cover the history and Mm -hmm. where they're at now and what some of them you're definitely able to tour. Others, Mm -hmm. you probably need to get permission first. And just we're going to throw this out here. Jess and I, your favorite cousins, do not endorse, recommend finding <laughs> yes, finding abandoned sites anywhere and just going in willy-nilly. Right. Don't do that. Please Number one, that. that is trespassing. Mm-hmm. Number two, there could be several safety issues that you are not aware of. So please, right. please, please do your due diligence. Ask for permission, not forgiveness. Right. They are abandoned for a reason. Yes. And especially if they're really old, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff probably going on that you don't even know about. Right. So for your health and safety, please, please don't just go to these places. Please get permission I would, I would assume that many places would be more than happy to give you a tour or Mm -hmm. to allow you onto their property knowing that you were going if you just asked. So, because yeah. most of the places in this book, you are able to actually visit mm-hmm. um, with permission. So, yeah. So, with that, let's talk about some kooky abandoned places. They may be even a little spooky. <laughs> you want to go first, Jess? Sure, I'll go first. Okay. All right. So, for my abandoned Oklahoma episode thing, I don't know. <laughs> I I did Eagle Park. And my sources is Eagle Park from AbandonedOklahoma.com. <laughs> Go check it out. I love it. So a little bit about Eagle Park. Eagle Park was an amusement park that opened in 1957 in Cache, Oklahoma. Okay, and let me preface this with saying, I am a northeastern Oklahoma girl. I grew up here, so if I pronounce something not correctly, I am very sorry. Please feel free to reach out and uh, correct me. But there are certain names in here that I might not be able to pronounce. Just wanted to throw that out. Jess and the subject line at Curious Cousins. Apparently, I'm supposed to be getting hate mail for last week's episode. (laughs) (laughs) All hate mail goes to her. That's fine. I'll read it. (laughs) All right. So Eagle Park was an amusement park that opened in 1957 in Cache, Oklahoma, and it was abandoned 
on May 13th, 1985. Herbert, okay, and I might mispronounce this name, Herbert Woosner, Woosner, he started with a vision for a family fun amusement park. That sounds good. when the nearby Craterville Park closed due to Fort Sill moving onto the land, mm-hmm. it made sense to open one up in cash. However, Woosner, he was a farmer at that time and having some he was having trouble with getting a loan from the bank so that he could buy rides that he needed for this amusement park. He ended up offering his cattle up as collateral and only then was he able to receive the loan that he needed and was able to buy the rides and he then became a part-time amusement park owner <laughs> and part-time farmer. Oh. Hmm. Eagle Park It wasn't big by any means. I mean, it wasn't like anything like Silver Dollar City in Branson (laughs) or like a Six Flags. But for a small town like Cash, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, Cookie fact. I thought this was really fun. The sign advertising Eagle Park came from an old Burger Chef restaurant in Wichita Falls, Texas, and was brought to Cash and repurposed to advertise Eagle Park. So I thought that was fun. Yes. During the season, Eagle Park was open from Easter weekend to Labor Day. So essentially, it was from April to September. Okay. Another interesting thing about this park was that amongst the rides sat the Quantum Parker Star House, Lawton Fresco Depot, and a log cabin from Fort Sill. And that's just to name a few of almost 20 historic buildings on the park grounds, creating this like small historic town were they put there or were they already there to begin with uh i want to say they were put there maybe some of them maybe like moved there yeah okay Okay. and they were authentic buildings from what i gathered now if i if i'm wrong if anyone knows correct me but i think they were authentic buildings interesting and were moved there some of them might have even just been there yeah ginger siebold who was the or was, who is the niece of Herbert Woosner, said that her uncle didn't have any children. And so those buildings kind of became like his babies. And he wanted to see buildings, or he hated to see buildings going to waste. And he wanted to save them. Here are some of the attractions that were at Eagle Park. They had what was known as the original Red Store where you could buy curios and souvenirs like turquoise jewelry, rabbit pelts, clay pottery, candy, and other various Native American merchandise. Mm -hmm. Not only did they have rides, but they also had horseback rides. Oh, okay. And it only cost a dollar for an hour to ride the horse. And it was a very popular attraction. Because... You could take the horses wherever you wanted around the park. Mm -hmm. And there was also a creek nearby that you could go down to. So, I mean, a dollar? Heck yeah, I would have gone and done that. I'd give you five dollars and travel around the park. I think I read that uh, one girl did for her birthday or something, her dad paid five dollars. And she essentially had this horse for the whole day. Right. And was able to just ride around. What a deal. Right. Frank Bryce opened the the Vin Am. It, it's almost like Venom, but mm-hmm. Vin Am. Okay. Research Center in 1959, just two 
two years after the park opened. And at this time, there was also a merry-go-round and a skating rink. The Vin Am Research Center was an educational attraction, and they taught how to care for and handle animals, which included the most popular, the handling and care of multiple venomous snakes Ooh. in the collection. No, thank you. No, not today, Satan. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. The have res- you, <laughs> sorry. Have you seen that meme? It's gone around on Facebook for several years of that snake that's like on the front door and it's like excuse me but have you heard about our lord and savior lord <laughs> voldemort oh no i haven't seen that so funny. <sighs> i don't know what made me think about the research center housed over 130 snakes both venomous and non-venomous kooky fact it held the largest venomous snake collection in the state and region Ooh. so Interesting. Ooh, I know. I was like, oh. The research center was also home to two alligators. They eat, they had their own pool, different species of lizards, including a group of gila monsters that they tried to breed but weren't really quite successful. Not quite. They weren't successful. And really quick, here are some of the species housed at the research center for snakes and lizards. The snakes included saw-scaled viper, mole viper, European and puff adders, coral snakes, and boom slangs. The lizards, uh, they were both small and large, and they included gila monsters, (laughs) iguanas, I think it's called uh, tegus, T-E-G-U-S, tegus? Yeah, tegus. Chuckwallas monitors and they also had many native species that were rescued and then released elsewhere frank bryce elsewhere well i mean i don't like that (laughs) well i mean i guess the rescue and release i don't know (laughs) frank bryce quit the vin am research center to pursue a career in u.s fish and wildlife services which unfortunately it led to its ending in 1978 apparently that was quite the attraction too here are some of the other rides and attractions that were at Eagle Park. The Little Dipper was a small kitty roller coaster brought to Eagle Park from Kitty Land in Lawton, Oklahoma in the mid-1960s. The Wild Mouse Ride was supposed to be one of the main attractions <laughs> at Eagle Park. That's a funny name. I know, they have some funny names. And it was a real roller coaster for a lot older kids, not just like a kitty one. And it was bought, used, and brought to the park. Isn't that funny that you can buy a used roller coaster? I don't find it funny. I find it scary, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to know if I'm riding a used roller coaster. Right? Like, don't tell me. No, no I don't no, want to know. Me. I like mini secondhand items. I'm not too snobbish about buying things secondhand absolutely but there's a line and it's mm-hmm, called mm-hmm. roller coasters mm-hmm. that yes. is a line we don't cross them. i don't cross it <laughs> no it was bought used brought to the park the manufactured roller coaster from ba Schiff and associates was comprised of two wild mouse coasters so that they would <laughs> need spare parts you know they oh would have. well that makes sense one of the coasters came from texas and the other came from doling park in springfield missouri 
<laughs> so Wayne Gibson and Ginger Siebold, I believe they're siblings. They're um, they are the current owners of the park. But this is as of 2020 when the article was written. They oh, were okay. the owners. Okay. I don't know if they still are. I'm assuming they are, but yeah. we all know you don't assume. As of 2020, they were. Their father was working on the Wild Mouse coaster when he fell, mm. suffering fatal head injuries. Ooh, no. And so the Wild Mouse ride never became operational. They Ooh. never... And they had two of them. Yeah. So I don't know what they did with it, but it, it never they went into they operation. They didn't sell it? I mean, they could have. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Oh, man. Um, other attractions included a mini golf course. Carnival rides included bumper cars, boats, a carousel, the bullet, a tilt-a-whirl, <laughs> and my not-so-favorite, two Ferris wheels, one for the older kids, one for the little kids. All I have to say to that is a big fat nope. And Jess and her mines. hate of Ferris wheels. Jeez. Yeah. Not, you couldn't pay me enough money to get on one. And of course, there were <laughs> I think it's going to roll off the track or something. I am not all for sitting in a bucket seat swaying while the wind blows and a tornado's in the background. No, thank you. It happens one time, Jess. One time. Scarred me for life. Never. What were the chances? You could give me $10 billion and I would say no. Um, Of course they had arcade games. I'd ride naked in one for $10 million. (laughs) You do that and then you give me half. How about that? Not unless you're in there with me. (laughs) Take me blindfolded and don't tell me what we're doing. (laughs) Another very popular attraction was the roller skating rink. It was made by using a concrete base and a self-leveling liquid plastic. Uh, And over, it had it over the concrete and it, when it dried, it hardened and it was green. Oh, (laughs) you could pay $1.50 to skate all day that they had skates you could rent you could buy skates and i know i would have loved that because mm-hmm, i mm-hmm. loved going roller skating yeah. and or was a big roller, roller blading skater. as it was when i was a kid yeah i was a roller blader yep, so, yep, yep. uh when rodeos were done around 9 p.m the skating rink was used for the rodeo dances which Ooh. where local cowboys from surrounding towns came out to line dance until 2 a.m. got their boot scoot and boogie on yes sadly in june of 1998 at this point the park was already closed uh-huh. but some of the buildings were still being used for storage a fire that was apparently triggered by lightning destroyed Ooh. the skating rink and ghost mine and also the former Vin, Vin Am Research Center, which had at that point been turned into a fun house after Ooh. it had closed. <laughs> no. I know. No, 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 no. I'm sitting here thinking of clowns and those creepy mirrors and little you know, spinny like the, walkways. Mm-hmm. Oh. I have enough issues walking by myself. I don't need help from a fun house. Abandoned amusement parks. The pictures are so creepy. Is, is that's nightmare inducing? It is, and the and just like looking so at the creepy. pictures, because you know there's oh. that one squeaky metal swing going. Yeah, you know when it. there's no wind. Yeah, all these buildings were destroyed by the fire, and invest investigators weren't sure if lightning struck the park and triggered the fire, or if it hit a transformer oh. that sparked onto mm, a building. Makes sense. 
obviously we have to talk about the rodeos okay oh oh okay rodeos became a highlight of cash culture at eagle park starting in the 1970s and my question is is what oklahoman doesn't like a good rodeo i do i love one you don't like rodeos i don't know i mean i've never been to like a professional one i guess (gasps) I've <laughs> don't look so so. Who are you? Um, I only went to like my local town. I grew up in Mustang, so the only rodeos I've ever been to in my life were the Mustang Rodeo, and I could probably went to maybe five. Oh man, I've, it's been years. We love going to the rodeo in my family. At least my mom and I do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, why? Why do? You, why did you guys like going to the rodeo, Jess? Why? Lots of reasons. Why? Because it's fun. Oh, really? <laughs> huh. Fun. Fun. How? <laughs> the food, of course. Who? Who doesn't like a good funnel cake? No, they had funnel cakes at a rodeo. It's because you don't ever go. <laughs> okay, we've gone way off topic. Okay, so three rodeos were held each year at Eagle Park. The first was the annual cash FFA, Future Farmers of America, for anyone who might not know that. Even I knew that. I know. I know. But (laughs) there could be someone out there who doesn't. So throwing it out there. Um, This rodeo happened in May, which it sadly died out around 1983. The second rodeo was the Cash Roundup Club, which hosted a rodeo on every 4th of July up until around 1987. And the third in the 1980s, the International Pro Rodeo Association put on the Chili Cook-Off Rodeo. And this took place on Labor Day weekend during the Frontier Days festivity. And this rodeo actually would be the one that turned out the biggest draw of crowd. The Frontier Day festivities included a rodeo parade, a Wild West shootout. Oh, and the cook-off. When I said that the Frontier Days brought the biggest draw of people, I'm talking about thousands oh. of people from all over. In 1988, the crowd was over 25,000 people. Wow. The rodeos were open events, and they had bareback bronco riding, barrel racing, calf roping, team roping, and, of course, bull riding. They had a few events for the youngsters, Tickets for adults cost 8 to $10, and it was 4 to $5 for kids. Hmm. That was one of their bigger draws. There was also all kinds of events that took place at Eagle Park. I mentioned earlier about the chili cook-off. They started in the early 1980s and lasted up until the early 1990s, even after the park had closed. So they had live entertainment, which included artists like Reba McIntyre, Brooks oh, and wow. Dunn. Mark Colley, David Allen Coe, and quite a few other famous artists. The park also hosted the Bluegrass Music Festivals and Reunions, which first took place on June 28th through the 30th, 1974. Hmm. Bands and fiddlers could compete to win $500 in prizes. They had designated camping grounds as well as catering service. How much do you think it cost for a three-day festival? Like that. Three hundred dollars? I don't know. For a three dollar for a three day ticket for this festival was eight dollars. Oh. And that, that sounds like quite the steal with night. I said it was three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> they had camping grounds, they had food, like they had everything that you needed for hmm. a three day wow. three day thing. Sounds like so, it could be fun. Yeah. 
I mean, it might get nothing against bluegrass or that kind of music. I like it for a while, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I could take three days of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do like it. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if I like it enough for three days. You don't like three days of it. (laughs) The festival continued until 1977. The park hosted an annual car show from 1982 to 1985, put on by the Southwest Oklahoma Street Rod Association. During the event, there uh, were games held that included spark plug change contest, wheelbarrow race, and even target a target race, which I don't really know what a target race is, but whatever. I don't know. Let's get in our car and see if we can get to target first. <laughs> I don't think it's that kind of target. It's but probably I like, like shooting I like where targets, your head's at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather do my target right. race than that target race. Right. The show was moved to Sultan Park in Walters, Oklahoma in 1986 because there was more space. The park held an annual 4th of July fireworks show. The park hosted family reunions, picnics, school trips, powwows. Even the Quana Parker reunion was held there. The park was described as this, quote, It was a place that brought people together and united the surrounding communities for the 28 years that it was in a functioning amusement park. And I really liked that. I thought yeah, that was really neat. That's beautiful. There were a couple of movies that were filmed there. A film called Charge of the Model Tees. Uh, it was filmed partially at the park using some of the historic buildings for the set. The movie is a comedy and was released on November 4th, 1977. I've never actually heard I of it. I haven't either. Another film called Fast Charlie, the Moonbeam Rider. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I don't even know what to say to that one. It was another movie shot at Eagle Park and was released on May 1st, 1979. Lastly, the American Pickers TV show also made its way to Eagle Park twice. Hmm. Each time items were bought, such as the bumper cars along with parts, some Coca-Cola button signs, and a few other things, and some airplane pedal cars, which I think sound fun. Oh, I think yeah. of my little nephew, yes, Charlie. Yes, yes. The closing of Eagle Park is what we're going to talk about next. Okay. So two years before the park closed, the family got word that the tort laws would be changing, which meant it would make insurance prices go up because of liability. Now, I am not a legal person at all, so I had no idea what tort laws even were. So I looked them up. <laughs> I feel like they have something to do with the torque of a amusement park ride. Well, it's tort. Oh, tort. Like tart, but with a O. Oh, <laughs> I was wrong then. I didn't pronounce or enunciate. Okay. Sorry. Well, tort laws. I got this information from investopedia.com <laughs> and I just took it directly from their website. So, three things you should know about tort laws. One, tort law is the branch of the law that deals with civil suits with the exception of disputes involving contracts. Two, tort law is considered to be a form of restorative justice since it seeks to remedy losses or injury by providing monetary compensation. Three, there are three main categories of tort law, including suits alleging negligence, intentional harm and strict liability Hmm. so that's tort law in a nutshell the whole reason the park closed was because in 1983 when herbert wusner and his nephew wayne gibson jr called their insurance company to ask about the tort laws the insurance company had told them not to worry about it Mm -hmm. that they had been good customers throughout the years and would continue to provide service, and insure them. However, 
1985, after only three weeks of being opened for the season, an inspector came out and less than a week later, they got a letter telling them they would no longer be insured after 30 days. Herbert Rusner's way of thinking was that if you gave kids $5, they would be able to spend the whole day at the park. And so rather than upping the price, they decided to just close their doors permanently. Hmm. Now, the hope is to raise funds and volunteers to help preserve the historical buildings and make it like a walkthrough park where visitors can take photos and maybe learn something. And that is all I have for Eagle Park Amusement Park. Very interesting. In Cache, Oklahoma. I'd never heard of that before. Well, and I just, like you said before, a friendly reminder, Eagle Park is on private property. So to get permission, go to the training post or call them. And here's the number I'm going to give it to you. Oh. 580-429-3420. And you can call them and set up an appointment. Please don't just go. Please abide by what they ask. And don't be don't be rude. Eagle Very Park. interesting. Go there or check it out. Check out the pictures. We'll post lots of pictures on our socials and let you see. Well, and like I said, I got all my information from Abandoned Oklahoma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't put everything in there, but it, I put most of what they had in that little bit. But yeah. Um, It sounded like a really cool place. It sounded like a place that I would have loved as a child Mm -hmm. and probably as an adult. Yeah. Even to take like my nieces and nephews or, you know, so it's kind of sad it's not there. I know. But it'd be really neat if they were able to get the funds and make it the walkthrough park like they want to. Yeah, that would be very cool. Anyway, what do you have for us, Tiff? Well, um, since we are close to, well, as recording, we are close to Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is the coming up Monday. Yes. And so when this is released, it will have been the previous Monday. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would cover a school named after um, an Oklahoman who was big in the civil rights oh, okay. era, and he was known as a civil rights activist for Oklahoma. Cool. He actually had a school named after him, and so it is currently abandoned, mm-hmm. and I thought it was kind of the first story I read from abandoned Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and it just really, like... Got it. With you. Yeah, and it got its hooks in me and really got me fascinated with this topic of abandoned historical places in mm-hmm. our state. This abandoned Oklahoma, they have started, and I don't know if they were the very first that started, but I kind of feel like they may have been one of the very first. And abandoned Oklahoma branched out to abandoned Arkansas uh-huh. and, aban- and made abandoned Kansas. Oh, and nice. So it's almost like every state now has a similar uh-huh. website and uh-huh. group of people That's who really do cool. this. Yeah. So, of course, I also used abandonedok.com, but also my book, um, Abandoned Oklahoma Vanishing History of the Sooner State by Abandoned Atlas Foundation. And literally, they have books from so many states uh-huh. if you are interested in other states besides that of Oklahoma. Well, I don't know about you, but I did try and search 
like I tried to get more than one source. Yeah. And I honestly, I had a really hard time same. finding. Absolutely the same here. And so I basically just um, used that one because it had so much information. Exactly. The same here. Like those were my two main sources. I did pick through Wikipedia a little bit, but mostly mm-hmm. for Roscoe Dungy, who was the civil rights activist. Okay. Just for some information about him. And then I also looked at the Oklahoma Journalism Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. their website for a little bit more information. But you're right. When it comes to the actual site, there's very, very little information yeah, that I could I, find. Well, and the the sites that I found, not I'm not saying they weren't reliable, but I didn't. They just looked. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't know what the right word is. Not reliable. <laughs> Unreliable. Um, I'm, well, well, they just I mean, weren't backed the, by probably sources. I think. Yeah. Facts. Yeah. You know, so anyway, I'm going to cover the Dungy School. Dungy School is located in what was once Spencer, Oklahoma. It's also known as the Dungy All School Association. It was established as District 4 and built in 1947. Where where was Spencer? It's right outside of it. It's kind of an area in between Oklahoma City and Choctaw. Okay. I was just trying to get an Um, idea of picturing it in my mind. It was abandoned in 2004, and it is an African-American heritage site. However, the current status of the land as of 2022 was burned down and endangered. So it does have, even though it is a historical site, Mm -hmm. because there was a fire Mm -hmm. and much of the property was lost Mm -hmm. to the fire, I believe that it is endangered of potentially being demoed or demoed, or I don't know if that once it's a historical site, I don't know if it is damaged to where you can't repair it, if they just let the elements get it or what. Yeah, I wonder how that works. I don't know. Because, I mean, that can't be safe for anybody to really do that. And it is on private property. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you want to tour it, you would have to get a hold of the current owner. Mm -hmm. By my sources, she is very difficult to get a hold of. So. Um, But some history about it. Like I said, the school was named after the Oklahoma civil rights leader, Roscoe Dungy. I like that name. He was a leader in both Oklahoma civil rights and Oklahoma City's black community. He enrolled as a member of the first class at Langston University. He worked at the Langston Herald, which was their local newspaper. Dungy was the editor of Oklahoma City's first and only black newspaper at the time. Oh. It was called the Black Dispatch. Its first printing was November 5th of 1914. Oh. And kind of a, not really kooky fact, but fun fact, um, its name refers to the Black Dispatches, which was a term during the American Civil War for intelligence given to the Union by free or enslaved African Americans in the South. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, this paper went against the, quote, white establishment of the Uh, time. Yeah, I can see that. It fought Jim Crow laws. Dungy, he was fearless in what he printed, and he said what he meant. Mm -hmm. Um, His paper attacked those racial discriminations, especially that against Oklahoma's own governor, because Mm -hmm. it had the... At that time, Oklahoma's governor was extremely racist. Dungy had a very solid reputation in Oklahoma City. Using that reputation, he was able to fight many fights and legal cases because of it. Mm -hmm. 
And this included advancing racial integration in housing, university admission, education, transportation, and public accommodations. He is the one who helped to desegregate Oklahoma State University. Oh, wow. And he worked for years trying to do the same at the University of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Um, He worked for fair jury selection uh, during trials of people of color and against lynchings. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to read from page 14 of the abandoned Oklahoma book. Just something that he himself said about his newspaper and why he chose to become this editor-in-chief. He said, The policy of the Black Dispatch is not to publish stories of brutality and crime in the spirit of the yellow journalist. Every week, we try to take the news field for subjects that will be inspirational to the race and promote and develop good citizenship. So he didn't, he wasn't going for the, the sexy, you know, headlines that Uh um, attention grabbers, he wanted to do things that were peaceful and promoted, you know, actually be helpful. Yes, good community. He was one of those who I think very much like Dr. King, where he knew that being ugly and violent wasn't going to solve the problem, that Mm -hmm. he approached the struggles of these people through just facts and Uh peaceful protest and things of that nature. This newspaper reported on the Tulsa race massacre, telling the truth that it was indeed a massacre and Mm -hmm. not what white newspapers had called it a race riot. Oh, man. Even... It said somewhere that 40 years after the race massacre, there was an investigation. It found that the black newspapers in the state mm-hmm. were telling the truth versus what the white newspapers had reported, obviously. Right. And um, it was kind of one of the first investigations to kind of really call it out for what it was. Oh, wow. And even that happened, Mm -hmm. you know, in the 60s, but it still was reported as a race riot up until probably 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago. Well, I know when I was in high school, just a side note, since you mentioned it, every ninth grader had to take Oklahoma history. Yeah, that's when I I think it was ninth grade. Yeah. And I remember our art teacher mentioned mentioned it like very briefly oh yeah however exactly i do remember knowing it as the 1921 tulsa race riot that is what they that's what i knew it as too and yeah like you said just i mean within the last 10 15 years Mm -hmm. that they kind of said no it's the 1921 Mm -hmm. tulsa race massacre it was a massacre yes and it was so yeah and it was We'll we'll definitely be covering covering that, that, but that's going to be a bigger story Mm -hmm. than... Mm -hmm. Um, The newspaper ran until 1954. Dungy also served as president of the NAACP for 13 to 16 years. I had some conflicting sources there. He passed away from complications from Alzheimer's in 1965. He was posthumously inducted into the Oklahoma Journalist Hall of Fame in 1971. Oh, cool. 
and at Dungy's funeral, it was discovered that Dungy himself had paid for all of the civil rights litigation in Oklahoma and most of the civil rights litigation in the region. Oh, wow. So definitely a bright star in our state history. His portrait does hang in the Capitol, I believe. Oh, nice. And of course, he was among one of the first, I believe the Oklahoma Journalist Hall of Fame started. The earliest dates I could find, the earliest honorees, I mm-hmm. guess I should say, were from 1971, and he was in that first class. Oh, wow. So Okay, cool. So let's talk about the school now. Yeah. It was built in the African-American area of the Oklahoma Spencer area known as Green Pastures. Dungy School opened in 1947. I'm sorry. That's interesting that it was called Green Pastures and the African-American district in Tulsa was Greenwood. Oh, that is. Hmm. Sorry. I wonder if there's any correlation between that. Hmm, I don't know. Sorry, it just like popped in my brain. Okay. That's okay. So when it opened in 1947, it had three campuses, an elementary, a middle, and a high school, and all the schools shared a field house. It was... I'll just let you go and I'll ask later. It was originally part of the Choctaw school system. Mm -hmm. The district was segregated, so this school would meet that, quote, need. Mm-hmm. The district was known to give substandard uh, support financially and also physically. Oh, yeah, of course to, they did. Yeah. Due to this, in 1963, the residents decided to fight for incorporation into Oklahoma City public schools, and they won. Oh, nice. Uh, Dungy School was best known for its excellent African-American educators and the education that they gave their students. One noted educator was famed Oklahoma civil rights activist Clara Looper. She was famous for her leadership in the 1958 Oklahoma City sit-ins, which resulted in diners in Oklahoma City overturning their segregation policies. She was an extremely popular teacher with her students, but was known to be tough. Yeah. As an educator, I can tell you that most often means that your teacher has high expectations of you if mm-hmm. you're tough. Um, they know you can do it, but they know you're going to have to give it all and they expect you to. Right. So, but she was highly respected for they that. They know your worth and they expect you to absolutely bring it. Absolutely. So the school ran from 1947 to 1972. Okay. And when desegregation laws came into play, Oklahoma City Public Schools decided to start busing the, the students of Dungy School out to other schools oh. to desegregate. Oh. This was extremely upsetting to the Green Pastures community. They had worked so hard to get the district to take over the school from Choctaw, and now their children were going to be bused back into this Choctaw School District. Oh, man. So in 1972, that was the last year that the school was opened. Well, you did it say like how many students they had there? Is that something you're going to cover? Or No, I was just curious to know. No, as the Dungy School, it never really said the population. When it turns into, it has like a a rebirth here in a few years. Mm -hmm. It'll tell you kind of how many kids were there. So let's fast forward to 1996. Okay. So civil rights activist Theotis Payne, he was an alumni of the Dungy School, class of 72. He was a mm-hmm. member of the last class. He purchased Dungy School from Oklahoma City Public Schools. Wait, now, say, that, say that one more time. He, this Theotis Payne, right. he purchased the, the school, Dungy School. The Dungy School, okay. yes. I'm ha- sorry, I was looking at you and listening, and then... <laughs> 
It just didn't process. Okay, I'm sorry. Payne could only purchase the middle and high school because Oklahoma City Public Schools had already reopened Dungy Elementary. I believe it is currently Parker Elementary School in Oklahoma City. So did they reopen it as... As Parker Elementary. Well, I mean, like, did it reopen as um, another elementary school school or was it... Well, no, because they were desegregated at this time, so it couldn't have. Well, that makes sense. (laughs) So they had reopened it. They were in need of another elementary school, and so they used that school as an elementary school. In 1998, Payne opened Dungy Academy as a charter school for high and at-risk students. It served grades 6 through 12. Enrollment was between anywhere between 30 and 50 students at one time. The first Mm -hmm. year, they had 35 students. Hmm. Each student was on a one-semester contract. So either, you know, they were there for one semester and if they were able to improve their grades or get them where they needed to be, Mm -hmm. they could go back to their public high school or middle school that they probably came from. Otherwise, they would either leave the school or they could maybe get into another semester. I guess it just depended on the student's performance. So was it for like kids having trouble in school? It was for at-risk kids. So those that were considered high-risk students or at-risk students. One of my sources had said like a lot of these students had a lot of trouble coming, going to school every day or showing up every day for class mm-hmm. when it was in the regular high school. But when they were attending Dungy, they had made such connections with the teachers that they came every day. Well, and it probably helps that it, it sounds like it was a smaller setting. Oh, and absolutely. It was probably more one-on-one yeah. with mm-hmm. your teachers and that always is helps yes and I think the community had really high expectations Uh for the school especially knowing what it came from Mm -hmm. you know in the 1940s 50s 60s and 70s right so I think it was very heartbreaking when all of a sudden there were many complaints by community members when they found out the school was employing non-certified educators this as a teacher is very disheartening because I feel that every child deserves to be educated mm-hmm. by someone certified to be an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, especially that so many people now in current times are quote teachers with quote emergency Certificates certifications. Or it is. Yeah. And it's it's funny because, you know, this was the late 1990s, mm-hmm. early 2000s, and that was unheard of. You could not have somebody in a classroom that was not certified. And right. nowadays, as long as you pass a background check, they'll let you in. I know. So, it is sad. It's really sad. So it's you know, my how the times have changed. Yeah. You know, oh, absolutely. This nowadays probably wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Many of the complaints were about Payne himself. He was the administrator over mm-hmm. the schools. Oklahoma City Public Schools put the academy on a five-month notice, improve your staff, and, or face removal of funding and school closure, and this was in 2003. That's so sad. Demands by Oklahoma City Public Schools were not met, so they were forced to withdraw their funding from the school. This coincided with Payne receiving several DUIs at the time. Oh, no. The school was able to continue to run until 2004. This either happened because of private funds or Payne's own money or fundraisers somehow. However, Payne passed away in 2004. His wife really struggled to keep up with the school, 
but she had to make the choice. She just mm-hmm. couldn't do it. Yeah. To close the school in the middle of the semester. Oh, man. That's so awful. knowing how much this school meant to her husband, Mrs. Payne could not bear to remove any of his things from the school. Mm. And literally one day the students and the staff were there. The next they weren't. Oh, man. It's, it was heartbreaking. You can see the pictures. It goes to show like segregation still exists in areas in our state and in our schools mm-hmm. because this was a predominantly African-American area. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that predominantly African-American students went there, mm-hmm. not to say that they would have turned away mm-hmm. students of any other color. Right or race that needed the help mm-hmm. but it's just one of those those things where you know that not all schools it's still not fair right. and it's still not equal right so it was heartbreaking that this did seem to be reaching those students that needed it the most right Fast forward to 2011 now. (laughs) The author of the article in both the book Abandoned Oklahoma and the Abandoned OK article with the same school, Mm -hmm. his name was Michael Schwartz. He stumbled upon the site of Dungy School. He lived near the area. So he just decided one day he was going to get out of his car and take a look around, which technically... He was trespassing, something your cousins do not recommend. Right. Don't do it. Please always get permission before exploring abandoned places. Yes. Safety first. What he discovered was a virtual time capsule. All the books, the desks, assignments, teachers' belongings, etc., even food in the refrigerator were all left. Oh, my gosh. He walked in and he literally quotes in one part of the book that he could see a half-graded assignment on a teacher's desk, pen still there. Uh He could see due dates of assignments on whiteboards still there, markers, dry erase markers still on the dry erase board. It's chilling. And he was, he was a photographer, he is a photographer Mm -hmm. and he captured all these pictures. You know, how creepy exactly not to promote how old i am or anything but i graduated in 2004 so my 20 year high school reunion is coming up within the next year Mm -hmm. 20 years it's been closed i can't eat and and the stuff is still there Mm. on the wall that's just creepy to think about some of the pictures i was looking at some of the textbooks and i was like I had that textbook. How spooky. It was so creepy. Yeah. So here's a kooky fact. And this is just good advice, I think. And it was advice given in the book. If you ever enter an abandoned place, do not open the refrigerator. Ever. (laughs) You don't want to know or smell what was left inside. He made the mistake. I can't even imagine. He did. Oh. So... Of course, him finding this treasure trove mm-hmm. of time frozen mm-hmm. is so atypical because most abandoned places, um, once they're abandoned, are usually taken over by vandals or thieves, the elements, the homeless, mm-hmm. but not this place. It seemed that people in this community truly respected the hollowed halls or hallowed mm-hmm. halls right. of this school. So Schwarz took many, many pictures of Dungy documenting things like assignments, posted on whiteboards, half-graded assignments, books waiting to be studied, a library full of thousands of books, tons of office supplies, 
all of Payne's accreditations and awards were still posted in his office. Oh, wow. Um, question. Mm-hmm. So was it um, both the middle school and the high school both closed down? Yes. And But the elementary school yeah, I think is it's still, still in open. operation? It's still open, yeah. Okay. So Schwarz visited the site many times over mm-hmm. that year and got a plethora of pictures. Did he ever get permission to be no. there? No. Honestly, what a blessing his pictures and trespassing turned out to be. And it's like a once in a lifetime where the trespassing worked out for mm-hmm. the good. Because on January 3rd of 2012, Dungy School caught on fire. Oh. It was never specified how the fire started mm-hmm. or what happened. Mm-hmm. But Schwartz did run to the school while it was on fire. And here he met Mrs. Payne walking among the debris and the rubble. He was fortunate to speak with her and got many more stories regarding pain and his love for Dungy School. Uh, here's a spooky fact. Oh, no. He has never been able to find her or talk to her again. She vanished. The only person of relation he's ever been able to contact was Theodis Payne's sister. I don't know why, but that gave me chills. I know. I have chills right. all over my it's, body. He has a picture of her that he snapped while the school was burning. And he's never found her again. The hair on my arms is <laughs> like, oh my, I don't know why that gives me chills. I know, it's, yeah. The Abandoned Oklahoma website and book, they've published many of Schwarz's pictures, his before and after. Yes, after the school burned, he returned to take more pictures. So please, please, please take a look at him. Again, though, please do not explore abandoned places without checking for permission. Safety first. But that is my coverage of the Dungy School. Nice. That was really neat. Thanks. I, I really I thought liked so. that. It has such a fascinating history. And it now, does. now, especially now that it has burned vandals have started to take over Uh and a lot of the um time Mm capsule-esque items are now gone Mm -hmm. Um, that's a shame there are pictures though like you still see like half burned books on the shelves or like melted computer screens circa 1995 how eerie though (laughs) yes absolutely so it's it's just a strange, strange story. Just heartbreaking at the same time because yeah. it meant a lot to, to a lot of people. To a lot like. of people in um, the community, and it had really strong African American heritage ties to yes. it. And it just kills me that it's just one of those things that goes to show that it wasn't important enough for some people mm-hmm. to consider trying to save it. And it's. It's wrong. They should have. They should have. It's just as important as any other historical building in our state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Wow. That's it. I like that. That Thank you. I like that a lot. I'm just thinking of those pictures and, man, no, what gets me is the whole he met her the one time and then never saw her again. Can't find her anywhere. No. Oh, my God. It's just so creepy. He's even gone to several of like the Dungy School reunions. Uh-huh. And that's where he found Theotis's sister. Mm-hmm. But he's never found his wife. Isn't that creepy? It's very creepy. Weird? Does she know what happened to her? Did she pass she, away? I don't know. Has I know that's been my first question. It's like, hey, where's his wife at? That's I would so love crazy. to talk to her. Hopefully this brought a little bit of um, happiness. Our two stories brought a little bit of happiness or joy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been a blah last couple of weeks. It really has. Um, so hopefully this has 
given people, maybe if all else fails, you probably laughed at Jess and I <laughs> acting a fool or something. Oh, that's every day. So for me. Well, and like, again, we just want to say one more time, do not <laughs> go gallivanting around and going to abandoned places without permission. Right. First off, you don't know who or what might be in Ooh. them. So just don't do it. And if yeah. you do get permission and be respectful, do not just go willy nilly and touch everything. Do don't not take touch anything. anything. Don't, don't take, take anything. anything. Take pictures and be done mm-hmm. with permission. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Right. So Tiff, you yeah. want to tell them where to find us? Of course. If you have any questions, comments, or show suggestions or tales for us, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. At CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com. I think that this abandoned places will become a new regular. We'll stick it in every so often. I really liked it. So if you guys have any suggestions. Oh, absolutely. Throw them at us. Yes, please. Let us know. Yes. I don't know why I said throw them at us. Don't throw anything at us, please. But send them our way. Um, you can find us on our socials at Curious Cousins OK on Instagram and at Curious Cousins OK podcast on Facebook. You, of course, can like, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast streamer like Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. So just tell them what to keep it. Keep it kooky and spooky. Bye. Bye.